God has a plan. He has a plan for you and for me. That plan includes loving Him and loving others. But for all of us, it's so easy to run away from God's plan, to avoid it completely. We get sucked into a life full of selfishness, pride, and rebellion. We focus on ourselves and what we want and what we think is best. But God is always in pursuit of us. God reaches out to us and offers us not a rejection, but an embrace. Not abandonment, but a welcome. This is the story of Jonah and God's relentless mercy. What is up, Northridge Church? It's great to be here with you this morning. And we are one church in multiple locations. And so I want to take a moment and just welcome our campuses at Webster, Greece, Henrietta, Aranda, Coit. And can all of our campuses do me a favor? And can we welcome our online audience this morning? Yeah, come on. No matter where you're joining us from, whether it's online or you're at one of our campuses, we want to welcome you to Northridge Church. It's great to have you here this morning. And we're bringing uh, an end to a series this morning called Relentless Mercy. And through this series, we've just been walking through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the, the book of Jonah. And we've been viewing God's mercy in this series. And the inter interesting thing about Jonah's story is it's about a prophet written by a prophet. Jonah's life is the sermon for the nation of Israel and for us. And I guess as we've kind of taken in these messages and as I've kind of viewed what God's trying to tell me in, in this series, what, what kind of caught me a little bit off guard, kind of surprised me is how much I get Jonah. I mean, how much in my life I can take my life thousands of years later and really relate to what Jonah's doing the choices he's making. I mean, if you go back to week one, right? Week one, God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, and Jonah runs the opposite direction. He rebels against God, and man, there, there's so many pockets in my life where, honestly, I, I did the same thing, where I knew what God was calling me to, and I went the completely opposite direction. Then week two, God gives Jonah mercy where he's in the belly of the fish, and I can remember this one time I was in this belly of the fish. No, that didn't actually happen. But I can remember where, you know, Jonah, he, he, he repents, kind of. He tells God he's sorry, but was he really sorry? And how many times in, in my life have I told God, hey, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do that again. And yet, there I go again. And then in chapter 3, where we left Jonah off, he does what God finally called him to. And he preaches this one-line sermon, doesn't include God, and, and then this nation, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, begin to turn from their evil ways and look to God. In fact, this is exactly where we left Jonah off. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And so Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, and he preaches this short sermon. Maybe short is better, right, church? Can I get an amen? And he preaches this one-line sermon, and then he gets to watch the Ninevites turn from their evil ways. You're talking about a pretty large city, 125,000 people, and they're beginning to experience revival. And, and honestly, this is like every prophet's dream. I mean, this is their job description. You go preach the message God gives you, and you watch God do what only God can do. I mean, this is every pastor's dream. I mean, I have fantasies about a moment like this in ministry, 
where you preach a sermon and all of Rochester turns from sin and starts to look to God. I mean, Jonah probably in this moment has got to be like, wow, this is amazing. God, thank you. You're, you just allow me to be a part of this. I mean, as a prophet of God, you think he's watching this unfold, and he's like, this is amazing, God. You're amazing, God. Thank you that I get to just see this. But let's look how Jonah responds. Jonah chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And, and it's almost like, did we jump into a different story? Like, how in the world could a prophet of God watch God bring revival into an evil nation and be mad about it? Like, this makes no sense at all, Jonah. This is like every preacher's, every pastor's, every prophet's dream, and, and you're mad? What is going on? In fact, Jonah's so mad, verse 2, he starts yelling at God. It says, he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. And Jonah is so mad, he looks up and he prays to God and he says, you know what, God, this is why I didn't want to go in the first place. This is why when you told me to go to Nineveh, I ran for Tarshish, because I know who you are, God. I could see what was coming before you actually ever did it. And what's amazing, in Jonah's anger towards God, he actually gives us a glimpse of who God is. He defines God. I mean, there's this moment where Jonah is mad at God for being gracious and compassionate. I mean, listen to the words. He says, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. That's who God is. And there's this moment where Jonah is looking at God and he's like, you're too soft, God. Why are you, why are you showing mercy to these evil pagan people? And aren't you glad our God is soft today? Aren't you glad he's abounding in love and gracious and compassionate? And it's almost ironic, right? Because here Jonah is mad that the Ninevites are going to receive God's mercy. But yet Jonah was fine all throughout chapters 1, 2, and 3 taking in God's mercy. It's ironic that Jonah's mad that someone else is receiving mercy when all throughout his story God has been giving him mercy after mercy after mercy. And you know what stinks about this story is <laughs> we're Jonah, as much as I don't like to say that about myself and I don't like to tell everybody else, but the person we relate to best in this story is Jonah. We are Jonah in this story. And there, there's a couple things that I know to be true about Jonah and me and, and all of us. The first one is we love to receive mercy. Isn't that true? I mean, I don't know anybody today who, who would say, you know, I hate getting mercy. Mercy is when, you know, you're deserving of punishment and someone withholds it from you. And we love the mercy of God. We love the mercy of others. Let me put it to you this way. You know, in my house, I've got three little ones. And Ashley and I are trying to shepherd our, our kids' hearts and, and parent these, these children. And there's one line in our house that our kids never want to hear. It's this line, go to the bathroom. Because go to the bathroom means you're in trouble. There's consequences coming. 
And so I remember about six months to a year ago, my oldest daughter, her name is Joelle, she's about four years old now, she was being naughty, she was being directly disobedient, and I looked in her eyes and I said to Joelle, go to the bathroom. And, you know, every time we tell our kids that, there's, I don't want to go to the bathroom, mommy, daddy, and they kind of like just moan the whole way, waiting, agonizing for what the consequence might be. And the reason why we send them to the bathroom, honestly, is because sometimes I'm angry and I need to cool down and I need to talk to Ashley about what we believe the consequence should be for their actions. And so it gives us just a little bit of a, a breather, a moment to gain our composure and to lovingly discipline them. So this one time, Joelle's crying in the bathroom, mommy, daddy, no, mommy, daddy, no. And I, I walk in and I round the corner and I look into her eyes and she says this very softly. She says, mommy, or daddy, I'm sorry. Can I have mercy? <laughs> and I was like, you can have whatever you want, baby. I love you. And now every time I tell her to go to the bathroom, she starts with that line, Dad, I'm sorry, can I have mercy? No, you can't have mercy. <laughs> Who do you think I am, God? <laughs> and honestly, we're just like Joel when it comes to God and our relationship with him is we love the mercy of God. And almost every time we do something wrong, it's like, God, can I have mercy? And yet he continuously gives it to us. But here's the tricky thing about mercy, right? We love mercy, but we don't like our enemies to receive mercy. And that was Jonah. Jonah loved to receive the mercy of God. He never complained when God was showing him mercy. He never complained when God was saving his life. But now that he had to face the facts that God might actually give mercy to his enemies, he struggled with it. It bothered him. And, and that's true about all of us, isn't it? Like, hey, we don't like to see bad people, evil people receive the mercy of God, but we're okay getting it ourselves. And we struggle with this. I mean, can you imagine a guy like Larry Nassar who abused many women in, in, in gymnastics, going to prison and, and receiving the mercy of God, placing his faith and trust in Jesus Christ? There would be something inside of me, if I'm honest, that would struggle with that. He doesn't deserve it, God. That's how we feel. We don't like bad people to receive mercy, even my daughter. My daughter who sits in the bathroom and asks, Daddy, can I have mercy? But the moment Ruby, Kate, or Malachi does something wrong, Joel's the first to say, they should go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe we should have named her Jonah. <laughs> and that's the truth about us today is we love the mercy of God, but we don't like bad people to receive God's mercy. And I believe I, I've come to two conclusions of why that is, why we don't like others to receive the mercy of God. I think the first reason is we forget where the gospel found us. We forget that every single one of us, it doesn't matter who you are today, every single one of us, our story collides with the gospel of Jesus Christ at the very exact same place. You see, when I met the gospel and when you met the gospel, we were enemies of God. We were in rebellion towards God. We were running from God, but yet God, who is rich in mercy, loved us enough to pursue us. In fact, we, we see in Jonah at the very beginning where the gospel finds every single person. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. 
You see, that's where the gospel meets you and where it meets, that's where the gospel meets us, is us running from God, rebelling against God. And I think sometimes we forget how bad it was before we met Jesus. We forget how wretched our hearts were before Jesus invaded them and changed them. In fact, Romans speaks to this in chapter 3. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They be, together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And right in that state that Romans 3 talks about all of us, because we are sinners, the gospel meets us right there. The gospel meets us. And sometimes the reason why we don't want our enemies, the reason why we don't want bad people to receive God's mercy is because we forgot that we were actually the enemy. And we were actually the bad person before God changed our life. And I think the second reason, the first is we, we forget where the gospel found us, wretched sinners. But I think secondly, we forget to celebrate the effects of the gospel. As Christians, one thing that we're called to do is to celebrate what God's Jesus, what Jesus accomplished in our life and others' lives to celebrate those things. And here's the amazing part about this, this journey in Jonah's life is here he just got done preaching a message to a pagan city, an evil city. Remind you, let's, let's remember who Nineveh is. They were, they were Israel's enemy. They skinned people alive. This is how dark and, and nasty this place was. And Jonah preaches a message to them, and look what happens. Jonah chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And so Jonah's message rang loud and clear in the Ninevites' hearts, and they begin to turn from their evil ways, and they begin to look to God for help. It's revival is what takes place. And here is a prophet of God. This blows my mind. A prophet of God preaching that message, watching what is taking place before his own eyes, and you think he would be celebrating it. You think he would be in awe of it, but he's angered by it. He's mad about it. And I think we got to pause here. And I think we need to lean in a little bit, dig a little bit deeper, because honestly, I think we can do the same thing as Christians. Honestly, I, I think a lot of times it's easy to fall in the same trap Jonah falls into here. Because ultimately what's happening in Jonah's heart is he's so consumed with what he wants God to do that he doesn't care about what God is actually doing. And I think as Christians, we fall into this trap so much where we are so consumed with what we should get from the church and what, what God should do, what we think God should do, that we miss out actually on celebrating what is right in front of us and what God is actually doing in people's lives. You know, as Christians, sometimes we, we say it like this, man, I saw God reach my neighbors, but I didn't like that song on Sunday morning. We say it like this, you know, I, I saw God change a, a student in, in, in student ministry, but I didn't think that message was deep enough. And we get to this place where we think the church is all about what I should get out of it, and we miss out on all that God is doing. And here a prophet of God is watching God turn an evil nation back to himself, and he's mad. He's angry. Look what Luke chapter 15 says. It says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
And if heaven celebrates when someone who is lost be found, and when someone starts who is rejecting God starts believing in God, let me tell you, this heart wants to celebrate that and rejoice in that. But can I be, can I be real for a second? Man, I've been in ministry for 13 years, all my life. From the moment I graduated from college and seminary, I've worked for the church as a professional person who's in professional ministry. And I'll tell you what, I have to guard my heart against this. Because it's so easy to hear a story of life change, to watch a baptism, to hear of somebody get saved, and it just be another stat on the chart, another dot in in, in the, the, the spreadsheet. And I'm telling you, when I watch a baptism story and when our church watches a baptism story, there should be something inside of me that comes alive that says, wow, God, that's amazing. And I want to rejoice in that. And I don't want to get to the place where Jonah is watching God do what only God can do, and it angers him. And I think as Christians, we have to guard ourselves against that every single day, becoming numb to the miracles that we get to see God do in people's life on a regular basis. Just this last year, we saw close to 100, I don't know the exact number, but 160 people get baptized in the life of our church. And if we can't celebrate that, if we can't go crazy over that, something's wrong. And that's where Jonah was. Verse 3, he's so mad, this is what he says to God. It says, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, this is how bad it's gotten for Jonah. He's just like, he's suicidal at this point. Like, I don't want to live anymore, God. And there's really only two conclusions that we can come to. The first one, I don't believe this is the conclusion, but maybe Jonah just realizes how wretched of a prophet he is, and he just says to God, you know what, you're better off without me, so let's just move me out of the equation. And I don't think that's the case. I think it was rather this. I think the thought of Jonah having to watch his enemies receive the mercy of God bothered him so badly that he would have rather God killed him than have to watch that take place. And so he says, God, just take me. I'm done. And God responds to his request. Verse 4, it says this. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Don't you love God and Jesus? Like, they always know the right question to ask at the right moment. Like Jesus, he's asked a question, and what does he do? He asks an even better question. And God knows how to ask those questions. His spirit in your heart knows to ask those questions that just penetrate inside of you. And that was one of these questions. God says, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? God gets at his hypocritical nature. He says, hey, Jonah, who are you to be angry at me giving mercy to somebody else when I've given you mercy after mercy after mercy? Is it right, Jonah, for you to be angry? So verse 5, Jonah does something. It says, Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And this is how dark of a place that that Jonah gets. I love that this is included in the story because it says that Jonah goes east of the city. He perches himself so he can watch Nineveh. And he is still hanging on hope that for some reason God would change his mind. And that God wouldn't show the Ninevites mercy, but that God would deliver the boom on Nineveh. 
I mean, that's the place this prophet is at. He's so craving God to destroy this evil nation that he's sitting there watching, hoping, okay, God, just let's go. Let's destroy these people. And what he's done is he's placed one life as the priority over 125,000 people's lives. And so God takes him on a journey. Verse 6, it says, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that, his, that, so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die and to live. So God takes Jonah on this journey. He's perched watching the city, and it says God provided a theme in this story. You read chapters one through four, you see that language. God sent, God provided. And he provides this plant for Jonah, and it shades him. And, and it says Jonah was happy. Ultimately, what he's chasing after, his own happiness. But then God provides this worm. It chews the plant, an east wind. The plant dies, and then the sun beats on Jonah's head again. Jonah loses his happiness, and guess what? We're back at the same place. Jonah says, it would be better for me to die than to be alive. And God responds to his, his thought. Again, very the same response. It says this in verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? You see this dialogue happening again. God and Jonah are at the same place. Jonah wants to die. God says, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah responds this time. He says, it is. He said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And in this moment, Jonah becomes a toddler and throws this big hissy fit. Like, yeah, daddy, I, I want to die. Like, I'm just going to scream here until you do what I want. And you know, as I read this story it's interesting, I often found myself judging Jonah. Like, dude, pull yourself together, man. Like, you do, you sound like one of my toddlers who doesn't get their way, mm, God, I want this. You know, like, come on. And, and what's interesting is, as I judged Jonah, I, I recognized that, man, how much am I like Jonah? And, and what's interesting is Jonah says this phrase over and over again, God, I, I'd rather die. And here's the reality for all of us is I think sometimes we don't, we don't say that language, but we act the same way towards God. And, and the reason why we do that is because our priorities and God's priorities don't align. And the truth is, is life loses its intended meaning when our priorities don't align with God's. And that was what was happening to Jonah. The reason why he didn't want to live is because he was chasing after something that God wasn't chasing after. And how true is that in my life and in your life? Where we prioritize our happiness, our comfort, our revenge, our safety over what God wants. And ultimately, that's what Jonah was chasing. He was chasing after his happiness. And when Jonah was happy, he was good with God. But when Jonah wasn't happy, his priorities weren't met. He was actually getting in the way of God. And how scary of a thought that is, that as Christians, when we prioritize the things that we desire more than the things God desires, we actually get in the way of what God is trying to accomplish through us. And here Jonah is, a prophet of God, supposed to be delivering a message for God, and he's actually the stumbling block into what God wants to do. And how many times do I find myself in those same shoes? 
chasing my happiness, chasing my safety, chasing my comfort, chasing revenge, and I actually get in the way of what God is trying to accomplish through me. And so God responds to Jonah's request. He says this, but the Lord said, you have been so concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also so many animals. And right here, God just reveals his heart to Jonah. He says, Jonah, how can you be angry? You know that plant you're mad about? Did you water it? Did you tend it? Did you care for it? You did nothing to keep it alive. And yet you're mad. And then God says, he, he shows Jonah his heart. He says, there are 125,000 people and animals in this city that don't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. They don't know the difference between the right and wrong. They don't know the truth. And you're okay putting me putting your happiness above every other life that's in that city. And here we see what breaks God's heart. We see what God truly is passionate about and cares for is, you see, God's heart breaks for those people who are far from him. That's the reality of the God we serve. It's the reason why Jesus came, because every single one of us, because of our sin, we're in rebellion to God, and God loved us enough, cared enough, his heart broke enough that he was willing to give up his one and only son for us. And man, if God's heart breaks for those who are far from him, shouldn't ours? Shouldn't our heart break for the people in, in our neighborhoods and in our homes and in, in our city and in our communities and in our hospitals and in our schools and in our colleges that are far from God and don't know the truth? That was Nineveh. And you see the reason why God shows them mercy because ultimately he wants and desires to know them in a relationship with them. And what's crazy about this, this story of Jonah is that's where it ends. That's the end of the book of Jonah. We don't see what happens next in Jonah's life. We don't see if Jonah comes around and, and wow, God works in Jonah and he changes his life, or we don't know if God just said, boom, Jonah, you gone. Probably should have went with option two, just for the record. But I, I think there's a purpose behind that. And I think the purpose, why this story ends so anticlimactic, without resolution, is because I believe this story is designed for us to relate to and then us to decide how our story is going to end. I believe this, this God just flips the mirror. We're looking at Jonah through this mirror of his story, and then at the end, God turns the mirror on us, and he says, how is your story going to end? Are you going to continue to live in rebellion? Or are you going to walk and prioritize what I have? And as we wind down this series, I, I think there's a couple things that we need to remember, a couple things that we need to take in and what Jonah is truly trying to teach us. And I think the first one starts with our view of God, our, our definition of who God is. And I think we all can come to this conclusion after this series is that God is generous in showing us mercy. I mean, aren't you thankful today that God is merciful? And, and I know when we think of mercy and we think of grace, we ultimately think of the gospel. Like, that's when I need mercy. I need mercy, and I need grace at the gospel. But I don't know about you, but I need God's mercy every single day in my life. 
because I'm a sinful man that doesn't always get it right, and yet God is gracious in giving me mercy when I mess up and when I fall short of his standard. In fact, this is what Ephesians says about God. It says, because, but because of his great love for us, God, let's pause here for a second. Because again, we see the root of mercy right here. We see the root of why God shows mercy, because he loves you. And I know for some of you this morning, maybe you're new to church or maybe you're walking through a difficult time. There's a storm hanging over your life right now. You're walking through difficult circumstances. And honestly, the last thing you feel right now is God's love. You feel like God is picking on you. God has just been just kind of tormenting you. But I want to tell you the truth today. I don't care what you're walking through or what you're dealing with. The truth of the Bible is that God is madly in love with you. And we see that at the cross of Jesus Christ where he sacrificed his son for you. And out of that love, it says this about God. It says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, who is generous in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. That is who our God is. You go back to Jonah, and and he knew that about God. It made him angry that God was rich in mercy. And it's one thing to know that. Like, probably most of us who've been going to church, like, that's not a new message. Like, oh, God is rich in mercy. Duh, knew that one, Drew. But it's one thing to know that. And Jonah knew it, but it didn't change anything about him. Jonah knew God was abounding in love and compassionate and gracious, but guess what? It didn't change the way Jonah lived, and a lot of church people, they know all the right answers, but those right answers don't change their life. And here's the reality is we got to know God is rich in mercy, so out of that, we follow God's example with all people. You see, the reason why we need to know who God is is so we can follow in his footsteps and we can be and follow and watch and be just like God. Because if God is rich in mercy, shouldn't I be rich in mercy to everybody else? And here's the truth. That's easy for some people. It's easy to be rich in mercy to the people who love me and who I love back. But let's press in here a little bit. What about the Ninevites in your life? What about the people who you would deem bad? Are you rich in mercy to them? What about your enemies? Are you showing them mercy? Because I don't know if you read Jonah, but I read Jonah, and guess who God gave mercy to? The people who were spitting in his face, the pagan people who didn't believe in him. God still gave them mercy. And if that's who God is, shouldn't I follow in his example? Are you rich in mercy to the spouse that left you? Are you rich in mercy to the parent that abandoned you? Are you rich in mercy to the boss who mistreats you? Are you rich in mercy over that person who walks over you, overlooks you? And I know this can get really messy, really tricky. How am I supposed to be rich in mercy to those people? And I want to give you one simple and practical step. You pray for them. It's a hard thing to do, to pray for someone you can't stand. It's a hard thing to do to pray for your enemy, even though you want God to bring judgment on them, but to say, God, give them mercy, that's a whole other level of faith. But that's who God is. And it's one thing for Christians to know that about God. It's a whole other level to follow God's example in that. I need to follow God's example. But let's step back even further in the book of Jonah. 
What do I want you to remember? You know, if there's one thing that we take away from this series, here's what it would be. Is the truth is what God does in us is just as significant as what God does through us. What God is doing in me and on me is probably even more significant than what God is going to do through me. And I think we see this in Jonah. I think it would be easy for us today to look at what Jonah accomplished, or actually what God accomplished through Jonah, in spite of Jonah. We got to see a pagan nation turn from their sin and and look to God. That's miraculous. And it would be easy for us as we wind down this story to be like, wow, look what God did through Jonah. But what's amazing is if if I look at my life, I think of the, the 10 years in ministry in student ministry, watching God use me to impact students' lives. I can think of story after story of, of God using me, but what's amazing is if I, if I trace back all of those, those moments and those pockets of my life where I feel like God used me in a mighty way, what's so interesting is every moment God was doing something significant in me. He was changing or refining something in me that needed to be removed or that needed to be added. And I think Jonah's story reminds us all as Christians is maybe we should put the focus not so much on everything that God's gonna do through us, but maybe what God wants to do in us. The things that he wants to refine in us, chip away at or add to. And maybe this is a moment where as Christians, we come back to that truth. We come back to the truth that man, maybe God in this season needs to work in me. And I really believe this. I I believe if God works in his people, in his children, I believe God will do something significant through us. And I think we start too many times with God, use me in mighty ways. I want to be used by you, God. Do the miraculous through me. But I always found that for God to do the miraculous through you, sometimes he's got to do the miraculous in you. And so maybe as a church, we just pause we take a moment. I know sometimes this is awkward in church to have a moment with God, just you and God, but we're going to give it to you. And maybe you ask this question, God, what do you need to do in me? What needs refined in my heart, God? What do you need to chip away that, that shouldn't be there anymore? What do you need to rid in me? God, am I okay getting your mercy but not watching others? I don't know what it is for you. But as we wind down this series and as we, we wind down our service this morning, we're going to give you a moment to reflect, a moment to ask God that question, what do you need to do in me? And as we give you that moment, our band's going to come and they're going to sing a song about God's mercy. Because here's the truth, is when you begin to study and understand God, you will know one thing, that his mercy is ridiculous. His mercy is never ending, that he is compassionate, abounding in love, slow to anger, and he is relentless in giving us mercy. So take a moment and reflect on that question.